pray. We pray right now for our younger members in this church, that your hand will be upon them. We pray for their leaders. We pray for those who are working with them. We pray that you will put an anointing upon them, that your Holy Spirit will be in those meetings, Lord. Father God, I know that you can use, you can use children to bring about your word. I've seen it, Lord. It's happened in my life, and I pray that that will happen with our kids. I pray for our teenagers, and I pray for our young children, right the way down to the smallest and the youngest amongst us, Lord. Bless them this morning. May they meet with you. May they know the presence of God, Lord, and may they be filled with your spirit as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. William Hershley Davis. I'm not sure if anybody's heard of him. I haven't particularly. He's an American theologian from about 1887 to about 1950. So he lived a little while ago. He said this. He said, character, and I thought this really struck me as interesting. Character is the one thing we make in this world and take into the next. It, we've always said you can never take it. You can never take it with you. You know, everything when you die, when you go to glory, whatever you leave it all behind. But our character, I believe, he's right. I believe our character is something that will go with us to next. Why? What am I saying? I believe that what God is doing right now in your life and in my life, in our situation where we are, God is forming your character to become more like Him. And we are going to spend eternity with him, having had that character, that godly character formed in us in time. So in this time, in the time that we have, from the day that we were born again and gave our lives to Christ, God was working through his Holy Spirit in your life and my life, bringing about a sanctification within our lives. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we're told by Jesus that the Holy Spirit has been given us Begin us to help us and to all those things that the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives brings. And what he's doing is he's shaping, he's growing character in us. So that when we arrive in glory, when we arrive in eternity with him, we will be a body of people whose character is the character of God. I believe that's why um, I, I agree with what this, this guy says. But I, I thought it was an amazing quote to find. Our character, our character is the one thing we make in this world and take with us into the next. So God is working in you for eternity. This isn't just a, a rough ride or a good ride or whatever, just and it's gone. God is working a weight of glory in you for eternity, for his glory, for his praise. Amazing. And then this guy goes on to say this, the circumstances amidst which, let me say that again, the circumstances amid which we determine, sorry, the circumstances amid which we live, I'll get it right in a minute, determine our reputation, but the truth that we believe determines our character. What we're in, what we go through, we get a reputation. We get reputations for all sorts of different things. I have one. I'm late. I'm always late. Or rather, I don't think I'm late. I get there just in time. Everybody else thinks I'm late. Hey, and I'm going to become, I, I'm, I'm going to troll on a couple of toes. I'm African, okay? That's <laughs> I grew up, I was talking to a lady yesterday because it was so hot. And we were just chatting. I think it was a lady. I was, I was talking to somebody yesterday. And it's just so hot. And I said, ah, oh, 
when it gets hot like this, because they said to me, you should know, you should be able to handle the heat, it shouldn't be a problem for you. Because um, uh, in Nigeria during the Hamatan, we used to get it up around about 40, 42, 43, that sort of temperature. And it was fine, and I really didn't mind because it was so dry. The thing is, what happens when it gets that hot, everything slows down. You walk slower, you think slower, and you hide in the shade. <laughs> and you don't rush out of the shade. And in the afternoon, you have a sleep. So even though I do it now because I'm getting older, I'm doing it and I'm saying, that's nah, my siesta. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? The circumstances in which we live determine our reputation. This guy went on to say, our reputation is what we are supposed to be, but our character is what we are. Our reputation is made in a moment, our character is built in a lifetime. Our reputation may be learned in an hour. You can learn about me in about an hour, but my character comes to light over years of knowing me. Our character comes to light over years. Our reputation can make us rich or it can make us poor, but our character makes us happy or it makes us miserable. And finally, our reputation is what men think we are, but our character is what God knows we are. And then D.L. Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. I love that. Character is what you are in the dark. Character is doing the right thing when nobody is looking. We should be more concerned with our character than with our reputation because our character is what we really are while our reputation is merely what others think we are. This morning is the next in our series of Sermon on the Mount looking at Matthew 5 and 6 and my topic is the sin beneath the symptoms. So let us read that. We've got a passage to read. It's, it's Matthew 5 27 to 37, there's quite a bit in there, and, and we're not going to get through everything this morning, but let's just, let's just read this together. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body rather than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into, thrown into hell. I mean, you imagine listening to, to Jesus preaching this on that hillside, saying these things, really, really powerful stuff. And then he goes on. You've heard that the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless he has been unfair, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Then he goes on again and he says, You've also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by earth, because the earth is the footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. And by the way, even if you dye it, it will go back to the color that it should have been. Just say a simple Yes, I will, or no, I won't. 
Anything else is beyond, anything else beyond this is from the evil one. Father God, I pray that you will help us to hear your voice this morning. We have some interesting things in here, Lord. We're not going to cover all of them. But I pray that you will speak into our hearts those things that are of your spirit, those things that you want to challenge us on, and those things you want to grow us on. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be those, those ready-tilled fields where the seed of your, of your word will take root and will bear fruit. We ask this, Father God, in your name. Amen. So how do we handle this? There's so much in there. In the passages that we have just read, you've got those three different sections. You've got adultery. There's a juicy topic to talk about, especially on a Sunday morning. Well, okay, well, there's divorce. That's another really juicy one to talk about, again, on a Sunday morning. I don't know. I was the one who put this series together. I don't know why it landed up on me, to be honest with you. Um, And if I'm honest, I've not found this one of the easiest sermons to put together. Because in my heart I've had, God isn't just talking to us about these things. God wants us to get a bigger picture. He wants to get us, He wants us to understand a bigger concept of the kingdom than just a simple rule. God isn't about rules. Yes, He is about rules, but He's not about rules. If you get what I mean, God isn't just about us, you keeping a set of rules. God wants you to keep the rules because you love Him. He recognizes we can't, and so that's why Jesus came and died for us. So God is about rules, and that God's rules have to be kept, or they have to be accounted for. Hence, Jesus Christ's death on the cross for you and me. And when we accept that, we are cleansed, we are saved. But actually, he's not about rules. He doesn't want us to keep the rule for the rule's sake. We just haven't got time to go through all these. So really, what I want to do is I want to pull out just the thought that I had for this morning. I'm going to keep it fairly simple. There is a sort of a single, there are other things I want to say, but there is a single thought that I feel flows through so much of these two chapters. It's not the only thought. So don't get me wrong here. I'm not standing up and saying, this is the only way to understand these scriptures. I'm saying that this is what I feel God's put in my heart for today. And these things can be found in these scriptures, okay? Let me ask you a question. How many of you... No, don't put your hands up. Just answer it within yourself. I don't want to embarrass anyone. How many of you have actually read through these two chapters? Okay, so those of you that have, well done. Those of you who haven't, I'm not condemning you. I want to encourage you maybe to do it. How many of you have read through more than once? Those of you who had, praise God. But I want to encourage you to do that. You see, because the point is, I'm just going to bring one thought for you this morning. But there is so much in this scripture. And even just reading it, my big problem was there were so many thoughts that were coming out. And I was thinking, what do I preach on? And I've made all these notes. And at the end of the week, I've got all this stuff. And I'm thinking, what do I use? And so I'm just going to do the one thing. But you, and do you know what I think would be absolutely wonderful? Whenever we, as, as, as elders and leaders in this church, whenever we say, oh, we're doing this series, it's on this set of verses, or it's in this area, or it's on this thought, or whatever, we flag that up ahead of time. I want to encourage you to go away. Think about it. Read those scriptures yourself. Do you know, I, I tell you what, you can read these two scriptures. I think Barry talked about this a couple of weeks back. You can read through seven, uh, five and six, Matthew 5 and 6, in under 10 minutes. 
I know you can because yesterday I did it in seven minutes and in the middle of the seven minutes, Sharon walks into the conservatory and stuffs a, nose under, a rose under my nose and says, smell that. And I'm right in the middle of timing myself. My stopwatch is going and I'm trying to work out how long it's going to take me. And even taking that into account, it was still only seven minutes. So my challenge is, read these scriptures. Ask God what he's saying to you. And then share it. If God's given, put something in your heart. If, if a thought comes to you, just share it. Let us know. Because, hey, church is about body ministry. Yes, I get to stand up here because I'm given the space to spend hours sitting, reading, writing and thinking. But that doesn't make me or John or Barry or anyone who stands up here and preaches it doesn't make us the sole custodians of God's word into us as a body of, of God's people. Each one of us has the Holy Spirit working in us. Each one of us can hear God speaking. And I don't, I don't, I don't care how holy any of us look, it's about your relationship with God. Hey, it's back down to character again. We've, we've got back to the character thing. The common theme I feel reflected through all of these is about character. I believe Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus was doing was talking to us about, I want to sort your heart out. I want to sort out what's going on in here because if I get that sorted, guys, the rest of it will just follow. Come on, thanks. Why have you stopped? Need to wiggle the mouse. I think somebody needs to wiggle my or unless the battery's gone. Just click it on for one for me. This brings us back to the thought that I, I started with and why I started with with these um, these quotes this morning. D.R. Moody's quote: "Character is what we are in the dark." And then this other one: "It's it's character is doing the right thing when nobody is looking." Have you ever seen? And we're going to work out who are the who are the geeks in the room this morning. Have you ever watched Fred Dibner? Does any of you know who he is? Wow, Fred Dibner. He's a guy that climbs. Yet yeah, he used to climb tall chimneys. He used to put fires at the bottom of them, and you'd see them all come crashing down. Back in, I think it was about the the late 70s, the 80s. It, it, I mean, some of the old videos are really a little bit clunky now. And, and he loves steam engines. Uh, I like steam engines, okay? <laughs> One of the things he's been doing recently is, and, and Sharon just can't understand it, she just thinks I'm nuts. One of the things he's been doing recently is, is going around these old buildings that are, are the Victorian buildings and that. And the amazing thing is, you will find hidden in places where nobody goes to, even places that at times are really walled off, the brickwork, the style, the extras, the beautiful carving that is hidden somewhere that nobody will ever see. And there was one the other day, there was this garden, and there was this wall that was right out at the back end. Nobody ever went there. It was the outside, it was right in the, in, in, in the forest, and you couldn't get to it unless you sort of delved your way through all this bush and that. And then there was this beautiful carving along this wall. Nobody was ever going to see it. See, that's character. It's the stuff you do that maybe nobody else is ever going to know about. And yet, and yet, in God, um, it's the stuff that really is important. 
I was thinking about how character is shaped by what is in our heart. Our character is shaped by what is in our heart. And I, the best picture I could find as a kid, that it, now I'm not, I don't, who, who, if anybody wants to try and Google the picture and then you turn around and tell me, but that isn't in Nigeria. Yeah, it could be Colombia. I, I have no idea where this lorry is. But it reminds me of when I was a little kid, I would be sitting in my mum and dad's car. Now, I may have told you this story before, and if I have, I apologise for telling it more than once, but I don't apologise for using it this morning because there's another point I want to make. That, that lorry, I spent my childhood driving behind lorries like that, wondering why they didn't fall over, and stunk out of the car because we used to have the fish lorry. The fish lorry you would drive from Lagos or from the villages between Lagos and Ibadan. It was about a 90-mile drive, and it was a, a, a single carriageway road. It was just... And overtaking was pretty much non-existent. Plus, when you got behind a lorry like this, you would drive down the middle of the road anyway, so you couldn't actually get past him. And he would be trundling along at around about sort of 45, 50 miles an hour because the lorry could only just make it up the hill. Add into that that before you saw the, the lorry, about a mile before you saw that lorry in front of you, you knew what you were going to be doing for the next half an hour, three quarters of an hour, or maybe even an hour. But you're going to be sitting behind this thing. Now this one, I don't know whether that is dried fish, but you'd be sitting behind this lorry, and this aroma of dried fish, to me, it was the aroma of death. It stunk. I could not understand anybody eating this stuff. And yet, the guy, one of, my, one of my best friends there was Nigerian, and he used to love the smell of the fish lorry because he really loved dried fish. Do you know, I feel that's a little bit, that fish lorry is just a tad like what goes on in our heart. Our character, what is in our heart, comes out. That is our character. Our character is basically the aroma of what's in our heart. And I feel God wants to challenge us on that this morning. You can look at that lorry, don't know what's in it. But if I was driving behind that now and I smelt that, that fish smell, I would know what was in that lorry. The character of the lorry would immediately be revealed to me. It's a fish lorry. It used to be the bane of my life. We used to go backwards and forwards on this road. And if we got behind a fish lorry, it used to be an absolute nightmare. What is inside cannot be hidden. Luke 10.27 is the story of the man that came to Jesus and said to him, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, I'm not going to tell you, you tell me. What does it say? You tell me what it says. And the man answers, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if we are doing that, if that is who we are, not what we do, I'm not talking about what you do now, because that's just your reputation. I'm talking about who you are. What is your character? 
And if our character is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, if our character is to follow some of those songs that we sang just a few moments ago, where we're crying out to God and saying, yes, you're the one I need. You're the one that gives me the very breath in my lungs. You're the one that, that, that is everything to me. That is the aroma that flows from our lives. It's what others see in us, no matter what we may or may not say. It is what we really are, character. It doesn't matter what I'm saying to you. It doesn't matter in one respect what I preach from on this platform because I can wind myself up. I can do all the research. I can even go to that wonderful new AI thing on the web and say, give me a sermon on this chapter of the Bible and blow me, it will give a sermon of some description. Shockingly. But that doesn't have any life in it. Because it's not the lived experience of any person. If I don't stand on here and share the lived experience of Christ in my life, if the aroma of God is not there, then all I do and say is just noise. As it says in Corinthians, it's a noisy sounding gong. Without, without love, it's talking about without the presence of God in my life, it is nothing. It is what others see. Pain, you see, the thing is, people may not know exactly what it is in you and I that they are smelling, if you like, for want of a better way of putting it. <laughs> in this hot weather, okay. Make sure you've got your deodorant with you. But your life, how you react. As Sharon put it to me this morning, those little micro-reactions, those little, those little things that happen in the moment, when somebody either says something or doesn't say something, does something, doesn't do something, when you stub your toe, when you fall over, when, like this morning, I caught my dressing gown on the door handle and ripped it, the response that I made reveals my character. The things that nobody sees, how I react then, that reveals my character. And it is the aroma. Look what uh, this 2 Corinthians, again, you know this passage, but let me read it to you. But thank God he made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. And then he goes on to say, now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. Just like that fish lorry. But to those who are being saved, we are life-giving perfume. That's what my friend thought it was. And who is adequate for such a task as this. Do you know what? Let me say this. Every single one of you in this room this morning who knows the Lord, who's asked the Lord into your life, who's been born again, you've given Jesus, you've given the Lord authority to tell you how to live your life. You want to live for him. Every single one of you is an aroma before God. That promise, that is not just for the super spiritual amongst us. It's not for the preachers, the teachers, the pastors. It's not just for the evangelists. It's not just for those who are working with the kids out the back. It's for you and me. You and me. No matter how insignificant you feel, if you press into God, 
the aroma will come from you. Your character will be changed. That character will be the aroma of God in your heart. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And then he says, and who is adequate for such a task as this? See, the point is nobody can do it. That means all of us could do it and can do it because it takes the Holy Spirit in you and me. And the Holy Spirit is dependent on God, dependent on his grace, dependent on his love. Therefore, it is sure. It is secure. Just as my next breath. My very next breath is dependent upon the will and the purpose of God in my life. If he so decided, I could disappear from this place as if I had never existed. But God chooses for me to be here. And that gives me such a sense of security because it is my God that does that. It is by his grace. That is why I'm here. Not by me. Not by what I've done. It is for every single one of us. Let's come quickly to the topic for this morning. And the topic for this morning is in that first part. I want to just look at this first section. I want to look at the adultery section. I thought it would be nice and juicy and, you know, we could... No, no, no. No, that's not true. <laughs> but I do think there are some principles that we can learn from this. Some stuff that I feel God has put into my heart from this passage of, 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 of this. So let's, let's just read this through quickly again. <clears throat> you have heard the, commands, the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I mean, the simple answer is about, about uh, adultery. Don't do it. Full stop. That's the simple answer. Don't do it. Don't do it in any way, shape or form. Don't think about it. Don't fantasize about it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Full, you know, full stop. End of discussion. That's the simple answer. But I believe that what God actually, what Jesus has to say in this, in this little part here can help us to understand how temptation comes in our lives and, and how that can temptation and sin can start in our heart. And that's why I come back to our character, our heart. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is talking about our heart before him. Not doing things because we have to, doing things because we love God. Temptation, sin starts in the heart and if our heart isn't right with God, it can grow into something worse. It can grow into action. If sin is not confronted in our lives from the temptation point of view, then it can, it can actually grow into other things. Look at the, the first part of that. It says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. To be honest, he, Jesus was actually arguing against false teaching from the, from the religious leaders. Because their argument was, yes, you don't commit adultery, but they didn't cover anything to do with what was in your thought process, what was in the back of your mind. You just didn't actually do it. You know, there's a lot of people around today 
who don't actually do it, but it's in the heart. Pornography is one of those things. Even, again, Sharon reminded me, we need to be careful how we surf on, 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 the, on the television, on, 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 on Sky, on, on, on you know, Virgin Media, and all those. We've got to be careful how we surf because all sorts of unsavory things come up. And it's not good enough to say, I've not committed adultery, I've not actually done anything. If we're sitting there watching films or looking at pictures, getting a bit heavy now, isn't it? But actually the challenge to our heart is where does our passion come from to go and guard against these things? Adultery is wrong. But it's not just about the action because Jesus says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sin is sin, church. Whether you physically have committed adultery with a woman or whether you fantasized and thought about it or whether even you've sat there and looked at magazines and done everything else that goes without or watched films. And I said I was going to be a bit blunt, or I didn't say I was going to be a bit blunt, but I knew it was going to be a bit tough. Any of those things, all is sin. Whether you've actually had an adulterous relationship or not. God is saying it's all sin. Jesus is saying it's all sin. All of it. All of it can potentially keep us out of God's presence. Well, no, all of it will keep us out of the present presence of the Almighty God. And that is why Jesus came and died on the cross. Because we need that salvation. We need, we need that in our lives. But the first thing to note on this is, or that, that first point noted is, sin is sin. You can't get away from it. Whether it's in the heart or whether it's practical and it's out there, it is still sin, and in the eyes of God, it needs to be dealt with. Hence, Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. There is actually a principle that we need to be aware of here as well. What is dwelt upon becomes our heart, which then leads to action. Let me repeat that. What is dwelt upon becomes our heart and leads to action. If you dwell upon stuff, that temptation grows. And ultimately, it can lead to action. If you dwell upon sin, it becomes our heart. Okay, the character then, the aroma that's coming from us, it has mixed in that sin. But, and this is the glory of it, it works both ways, because if we dwell upon the things of God, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pleasant, if we dwell upon the presence of God, if we think about Jesus, if we think about the Lord, if we spend time in worship, and I don't just mean in church, I mean at home, I mean in between. I don't know about you, but how many times have you got up in the morning, felt really rubbish, gone downstairs, read some Bible, listened to some, some, some worship, and thought, I can now get on with the rest of the day. I've done that so many times. Because what I've dwelt upon has gone into me and, and become part of who I am. So it works both ways. What we dwell upon. So first of all, sin is sin. Second, the act and the heart are not the same. It's easy to say, okay, so if I've thought about adultery and I've done adultery, it's all okay. Okay, I've thought about it. Oh, well, too bad then. It's all the same thing. I might as well go off and do it. They're not the same thing. One very simple reason, if you're thinking about it and you haven't done it, there's still a chance that you might overcome the temptation. If you're thinking about it, and there's a guy called Rob Parsons, he used to do 
um, care for the family, or he still does care for the family, and he used to do Marriage Matters video. I don't even know whether they do that anymore. But he, he used to talk about this story about a guy at work who sees the girl, thinks about her, he ends up taking her out for a meal one evening, something like that. And while he's there, he suddenly realizes what's happening. He realizes what he's doing, and he just gets up, and he runs. He runs out of the um, the restaurant. And, and Rob Parsons, I can still hear his voice in my head, because he's got a distinctive way of talking. And, and he just says, run, without dignity, without pride. Just run, 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 he says. And it's the same thing. If we find that we're in that place, we have a choice. We have a choice. We need to dwell upon something that will help us to move on. There's, um, I'll come back to that. There's a, uh, there's a quote which I found which says this, You can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from landing in your hair. I'm not sure what hair you need to have birds landing in it. But there's a truth in there. We can't always stop the thoughts that flow around our head. But what we can do is stop them from taking root, from becoming part of us. We do have a choice. So what have we learned? We've learned that with, with, with sin, if we dwell upon it, it can become part of us. We've learned that with sin very often, and especially with adultery, the sin of lust, can grow in our hearts because we're looking, we're seeing, we're dwelling, we're thinking. It's the same across the board with sin. If we regard sin within us, if we don't deal with it, then it can, it can cloud who we are and it will change our character. 2 Corinthians, coming back to this as we finish, as we just finish now, 2 Corinthians said, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume who is, who is adequate for such a task. All of us are because we're full of the Holy Spirit. But, and this is the challenge I leave you with, do you trust the Lord? Mark was talking about that yesterday in the men's breakfast. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Seriously? Think about it for a minute, do you? Would you sacrifice your children for the Lord's will? Abraham was willing to. He was ready to lay down his, his, his son. Look what Jesus says. He says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. The New Living puts in a slightly, I was going to say easier way, but I think it actually brings a little bit more of the, of the, of the reality of what's being said. If you want to be my disciples, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciples. I believe the Lord is saying to us, I want you to have that heart. I want you to have my heart. I want the aroma of your lives, that, that, that character of who you are, to be shaped and flavoured 
by who I am in you. But you have to trust me. And I believe this is where the rubber hits the road. Because it's hard to say, but look what Abraham did. Abraham was willing to go all the way with something that even in his own mind he thought was not necessarily the way it should be. He was willing to sacrifice his child. He trusted God and God stepped in. The challenge to me today, the challenge last night when I was reading this, the challenge as I've studied it through the week and maybe one of the reasons why it's been a hard one to put together is that the Lord is saying, do you really trust me? And that can mean all sorts of things at all sorts of levels. It could mean, do you trust me with your job? It could mean, do you trust me with your family? It could mean, do you trust me with your husband? It could mean, do you trust me with your health? Do you trust me with your children? If I told you, don't do that, I want you to do this, and it went directly against what you think you should be doing for your family, for your children, would you? And I feel the Lord is saying it all comes down to faith. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I love you? Do you trust that my love for your family, for those situations, is far more than ever yours would be, or could be, or is? Do you trust me? And that's the challenge I want to leave us with this morning. I believe the Lord is calling us to a life of trust. I had a picture. Sharon and I were praying in the, in the car outside and the Lord gave me this picture. And it was a picture of Harefield, I believe. And I saw a tree or a bush. It was more like a, a large bush. And what I saw was that flowers came on it. And as I watched, the flowers dropped off. And I've been watching the poppies in our garden. Did you know that poppies only really last a few hours? They don't last very long. And the bees get inside and they spin round and round and round and they do all the pollinating and suddenly all the leaves fall off and what you're left with is just this ball of seeds at the end of a stick. I could see something like that for us as a church. I believe the challenge to us, I believe what God is saying to us as a church is that I want to make you fruitful. You have foundations, you have roots, you have grown, you are strong, but I want to make you fruitful. And I believe there is a fruitfulness that God wants to bring to us. What does that mean? That, that the evangelism team is going to go out and see lots of people saved? Well, maybe. But that's not what I think God is talking about. That our preachers, our, our pastors, me, the guys, we're all going to start preaching absolutely amazing sermons that are going to see all sorts of amazing things happen and healings happening, the meeting, all the rest of it. Maybe. But I don't think that's what it is. I think it comes down to you and me. And let me come down from the platform now and say this. It comes down to you and me as part of this congregation. Individuals. People. Not pastors, teachers, evangelists and the rest of it. But Dave. Dave Evans with all my grumpiness and all my struggles and my health and all the rest of it. Me, the man, God saying, do you trust me? And that, I think, is the message that God's put in my heart for this morning. Will you trust the Lord?
Because I believe God has got something to do. And I'm sorry, I've run off my notes now and I am carrying on, but please hear me out. I believe God wants to do something amazing with us in Harefield. Not an exclusion to what he's doing across. I believe God is doing something across this town and I believe God will do something across our nation. Because we need it. We're in such a mess. We're coming up to the end times. Things are so critical. Even Russia has started to fall apart. Look at what's going on. And God wants a people who say, I'll trust you. I'm a bit worried. I don't know whether I can, but I'll trust you. And if you want to take my kids away, I will trust you. Because I believe that once we get to the point where we can say yes in that scenario, I don't think God's going to start ripping things away. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God wants our heart to be in that place where if he did, it would be okay because actually it's God and God loves me and I understand that and it doesn't matter what the world around me looks like and it doesn't matter how hard I'm struggling with it. I believe God loves me. And if we get to that point, I believe God will use us. I believe God will grow us. I believe we will see amazing things. I'm not defining what they are. I don't want to even define it as as any particular thing. I just want to say that I believe God will. And I believe what God has ordained for us is for us to have flowers and then to have seeds and then to have babies. And that was what I had in my heart as we were praying out before the meeting today. God wants us, Hefield, to have babies. He wants to see the lost saved. He wants to see people brought into the kingdom. And yes, he wants to see us grow and share that with the world around us in so many different ways. Father God, we thank you that your heart is for us. We thank you that your heart is for Harefield. We thank you that your heart is for Harlow, for the UK and for the world. And Lord, we come before you now and I pray the things that I've been speaking about this morning, those things that you put on my heart, I pray the things that are not of you, you will cause us to forget them and take them away. But the words that are your words, those words that are sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, I pray that they will cut us and they will expose us, and that, Lord, you will put in us a heart of righteousness, a heart whose fragrance is the fragrance of God, the heart of that fragrance that will bring life to those who are seeking you, and, Lord, is the smell of death because they are all those who have turned away from you. But we have the aroma of God upon us. I pray that now, Lord, that your hand will be upon us, as individuals and as a church, and that we will see you taking us forward into all that you have for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you.